The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. The Royals are now 77 and 61. 16 games over 500 after doing what they had to do with Texas. And that sweep the lowly Rangers. Finishing the homestand 5-5 five and five and only one game off of where they truly needed to be at 6-4 and four on this stand. And you can live with that. What's up? It's Davo, and we welcome you into another edition of The Dish here on Clubhouse Conversation as Casey wins 4-1. to one. And yes, I'm aware technically the Royals were 5-4 and four on this homestand, but realistically, and I keep saying it, I'm going to keep counting that half game that the Royals currently have, that game-and-a-half lead they have over Detroit. I'm going to keep counting that as a loss, as, as one game. I'm going to take away. I'm going to subtract that from where the Royals are and just assume they currently have a one-game lead after David Salazar stepped up big time. The shutout for Cleveland tonight, silencing the Tiger bats, and Justin Verlander was once again lit up tonight. So, I mean, by doing that, I feel like you're doing the maximum you need to win the division rather than the minimum. And what I mean by that is you're not relying on some fluke come-from-behind victory in the bottom of the 10th in Cleveland when you're down by two runs. It's kind of an invisible half game because KC probably has a 10% chance of coming back down two in the bottom of the 10th when Cleveland can plan way ahead for who they're going to use in that bottom of the 10th inning. So I just want to say that let's count that as a loss right now, and that forces the Royals to do more. You know, If it's only a game, you got to do a little bit more to win that division, which I think is the right attitude to have right now. Go all in. Balls to the wall, as they would say, right? So let's talk about this game. It starts and ends once again with primarily the same three stories as we've been talking about this entire homestand. Number one, starting pitching. Number two, bullpen. Number three, Alex Gordon. As Gordo literally willed the Royals to a couple of victories on this homestand, namely the two-run walk-off home run he hit off of Glenn Perkins in the Minnesota series. But tonight it was a two-run shot that got the Royals going off of Blue Springs native Nick Tepish. In the bottom of the fourth, Casey never looked back. When they got up 2 nothing, it felt like the game was over, didn't it? That's how good Jason Vargas was tonight, and knowing that you had the back of your bullpen fairly fresh. I mean, they had a day off yesterday, which these days is a lot for those guys, <laughs> the back end of the Royals' bullpen. Overall, another disappointing night for the Royals, which we'll get to, but, I mean, offensively, I mean. But six and two-thirds innings of shutout ball from Jason Vargas. Just an awesome job. They weren't doing anything with him until the seventh inning. He had four hits coming into that seventh inning. Six and two-thirds innings of shutout ball out of Vargas on six hits. Struck out five. Didn't walk a single hitter. The terrific season just continues for Vargas. 11-7, and seven, a 3-1-4 ERA, and without the appendectomy, he could easily be at the 13-14 or 14 win mark right now. And I know wins and losses is the most overrated BS stat in all of baseball, but it still shows... It's, it's pretty remarkable, you know, that he could come in and, and win 15, 16 games when many Royals fans thought that was a bad signing. It turns out to be one of the biggest bargains free agent-wise if you look back at the offseason, if you compare that to some of the contracts, which we'll do coming up maybe this offseason. We'll kind of look back when we preview next year and all that jazz. So, But Jason Vargas, glad to have him ink the next three years, the way he's throwing. Good grief. I figured he'd do a nice job against the Texas hitters. A young team like that, a guy like Vargas is going to usually carve them up, which he did. Kelvin Herrera comes in and does what he does best. Bails the Royals out, gets them out of tough situations, and whether it be inherited runners or whether it be starting an inning against the middle of the lineup, Herrera gets the job done. 
again, the most unsung hero on this team. You hear so much about Davis and Holland, rightfully so, and some of the guys like Shields and Perez and Gordon. And, and you know, they should get that kind of credit. But Kelvin Herrera has had quietly one of the most impressive seasons and one of the most important seasons on this club because with Luke H with Luke Hoche ever going down, you know, during spring training with the Tommy John, it was big to have somebody like Herrera step up, especially with as bad as the rest of the bullpen has been the last three or four weeks. And you know, staying with that, Lewis Coleman comes in. <sighs> the last couple of years I thought Coleman was way underutilized. Down in Omaha too much. Thought Coleman was one of the Royals' best three or four relievers the last few years. For most teams, he would have been their second best, but the Royals have been so good the last few years bullpen-wise because Dayton Moore knows how to build a bullpen, always has. It's amazing. But Coleman, what has happened to him? He comes in, the Royals get up four, and you think maybe they don't have to use Davis and Holland. I'm getting to the point now where let's just use them every game when we're ahead. I mean, it's like they're going to come in anyways. I, mean, I swear the last two months, all year, in games where the Royals are ahead by four or five runs in the eighth or ninth, Holland or Davis has to come in probably three out of four times. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have three hours to go back and look at all the box scores and the play-by-play of every game. But if somebody actually sat down and did that, that'd be a very interesting study to see. You know, those games in the eighth and ninth innings when the Royals had a four or five run lead, and they go to somebody like a Coleman or a Michael Marriott or uh, Donnie Joseph, or you go back through all the different names who have tried to come in, Bueno or. Um, Aaron Brooks one time. I mean, you go back and back, and it's not good. Lewis Coleman comes in, and what does he do with the four-run lead? He walks the freaking leadoff hitter. <sighs> walks the leadoff hitter, Elvis Andrus, in the eighth. Gets two outs, although Texas was hacking at pitches that weren't strikes. Uh, a playoff team. I mean, there, there was a good hitter in there, obviously, with with uh, Beltre, but a playoff team like Oakland or Detroit or some of these other teams that are patient aren't going to be swinging at those. Now, granted, I, I understand Coleman's not going to be pitching in the playoffs, but you get the point. Then he allows another hit and a run after getting the two outs. So the, the two outs in between the hit and the leadoff walk. And, of course, you have to bring in Wade Davis for two batters. He gives up one hit. <sighs> it's a rough end, a rough Ned O'Dare. The last name's O'Dare. Is it rough Ned? I don't know. Whatever. Gets out of them with the ground out to Omar Infante off the bat of Tomas Talese. I'm not trying to knock Texas because, trust me, the Royals have been exactly in Texas's shoes many, many, many a times. But who are these guys? Doesn't it seem like the ultimate, like, DSL team, like the Dominican team? Like, who are all these guys out there for Texas? This whole series, I mean, I couldn't even keep track of who people were. Like, it was just like they were all nameless and faceless to me. I was just kind of like, who's this guy? And you just kind of stereotype them as all the same. They're all inexperienced. None of them are great hitters. None of them are big power hitters. The majority of these guys, they were throwing out this series offensively outside of the main, you know, one through four in their lineup, two through four in their lineup. Greg Holland comes in on the ninth inning, one, two, three with two Ks. Looked great leading the league now. Tied for that with 42 saves, him and Kimbrell. And, and fun seeing Terrence Gore, his second big league appearance, pinch runs for Billy, gets that key fourth run in, or, you know, to give the Royals the lead there. And the seventh, when Butler gets to second base off of a double, get to see Billy get a double after breaking that 0 for 15 he was in. Gore rips off third, comes home after his first major league stolen base, the same play after the throwing air from Talese. Just a, a nice series for the Royals. Again, nobody is doing jumping jacks and fist pumps and cartwheels and pronouncing this division over by any stretch. But here's the deal. The Royals did not have a good homestand. Five and five to me is not a good homestand. Six and four was a good homestand. Seven and three was a great homestand. The Royals, though, were only one game off of where they needed to be. And for as bad as they played, 
like we talked about the other night, they could have been on a seven, eight game losing streak. Dating back to that last game in Texas with that Alex Gordon hitting a walk off home run and, you know, coming back in the eighth down one against Minnesota, you know, and without Texas coming to town. I mean, the Royals easily could have been on a seven game losing streak with the Rangers game dating back to Texas and then the game with the Yankees and a horrible series with Cleveland and the bats weren't really going against Texas either. You know, the outfield play helped give the Royals the game the other night, the left fielder there. So, I mean, I'm not thrilled with how the Royals played in this homestand. But they, the bottom line is they swept the Rangers. They're a major league team. I don't care. They swept them. They had to sweep them. That's what they had to do to salvage the, salvage the homestand, and they did it. And they leave town with a game lead. Well, either a game or a game and a half or a half game. Again, I'm not counting that other half game. So it technically could be either two or one. But to me, it's either a half game or a game and a half after tomorrow. Let's hope that Scherzer goes down against Cleveland tomorrow. It'll be nice if Cleveland could get that split tomorrow for the Royals. I give them not breathing room, but I'll give them, well, yeah, a little breathing room, I guess. At this point of the year, if you can get that lead up to a game and a half, two, three games, you start to feel a little bit better. It takes a little pressure off of you. Now, the Royals have to get things going on this road trip, obviously, because they're not going to be able to play like they have in this homestand and go 500 or above in this road trip. And really, the ultimate goal is 4-2 and two on this road trip. If you go 4-2 and two on this road trip, you're probably going to win the division. That's what I think. You go 4-2 and two on this road trip, you're probably coming home with a three-game lead over Detroit. And at that point, you're getting down to, what, about 16, 17 games left? I mean, at that point, a three-game lead is pretty substantial. So if the Royals can get through 4-2 and two on this road trip, I think they're going to win the Central. I'm not going to call it over, but I'm going to, it's going to be looking damn good if they go 4-2. Because that's going to prove a lot, too, because these are six of the nine toughest games they have left in their schedule. Yes, there's a trip to Cleveland that could stack up to be more difficult than we thought originally, but for now, we're not going to worry about Cleveland. I think they might fade out by then. And the Yankees, there's some good pitching matchups in, the, in, in New York. It's the same with Detroit. Two playoff teams, caliber teams, two teams jockeying for the playoffs on the Yankees and Tigers. Yankees, of course, on the outskirts right now, and the Royals are going to put the dagger in them with a two out of three or a sweep this weekend. It's not going to be easy, though. Let's talk about this trip. So, yeah, we're, three and three is what you have to go. That's worst case. You have to go three and three on this road trip. You have to. You go 3-on-3 three three in this road trip, you're probably going to lose a game to Detroit. You're probably going to come home around dead tie, depending on what the Tigers do against the Giants and tomorrow. You probably come home in a tie if you go 3-on-3. Three and three. And since this game, this is probably coming down to that last week to 10 days anyway, so we're probably we're not, we're not going to run away from Detroit, guys. It's not going to happen. And just, same thing with them if they get in first place. You got to go 3-on-3 three three on this trip, though. 4-on-2, I really think we're in great shape. 4-on-2 puts you in the driver's seat. By, and I'm not saying this division's over if they go 4-on-2. Don't get me wrong. Don't twist my words here. It's just looking damn good if they go 4-on-2. They're in the driver's seat at that point. 3-on-3, three three, nobody's in the driver's seat. That just kind of puts the Royals and Detroit basically in a dead-on tie, and who knows where Cleveland will be by then. Now, the, the matchups against the Yankees. Actually, let's just go through all six here real quick. James Shields, Michael Pineda, Friday night. Pineda, you know, has been injured. Hasn't pitched a lot this year, but it's been good. Three and three with a 209. His last three games has a 245 and 18 and a third. That includes six innings of one run ball against the Royals just two starts ago. So we know Pineda is going to be tough. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I just feel like this damn offense for the Royals is going to start hitting any day now. It's just, it's too good. I like having Hosmer back in there getting consistent at bats. I like having Haas and Moose at Yankee Stadium, some of those lefties hitting there. I'd love to see Carlos Piguero get at least one start in that series. Better not play Raul Labanez or I will go <laughs> go nuts. <laughs> He's not playing over Willingham or Piguero or Butler or DH. 
over my dead body, at least, or Kratz or any of those other guys that we talked about the other day. Uh, just thinking about some of the lefties they could put out there is why I say that. Shields and Pineda on Friday. Saturday is Duffy and McCarthy. Brandon McCarthy, that is. McCarthy came over, of course, middle of the season, 5-4 and four with a two eight zero for New York. Been good his last three, too. 3 8 and 21 in the third. For the season, though, not that impressive. 8-14 and 14 with a four one nine. You know, the more pitcher-friendly NL was where he spent a good chunk of the season. So it's a guy that realistically is a mid-four type pitcher, you know, in 2014. The Royals should be able to get to him, I would think, for some runs with Duffy going. Sunday, Ventura against Shane Green, a guy I don't know too much about. All three of these guys are right-handers, obviously, the Royals are playing. Green's 4-2 and two with a 3-8-8. Been roughed up, though, his last few outings. 6-7-5 ERA in his last 14-plus innings, including six runs and two and two-thirds last time out. So, I don't know. You look at this series, Shields against Pineda, I just I consider it a toss-up. Duffy and McCarthy leans Royals, but kind of a toss-up. Ventura and Green leans Royals. The Royals got to find a way to get two out of three in this series. Just win that game Friday night. That's the only game I consider a toss-up, a true toss-up in this series. I give the Royals a slight edge Saturday and a decent edge on Sunday. Get that game Friday. Get this road trip off to a great start, Shields. Go ahead and be the man. Do that, and it's looking good. Don't do that. Well, no need to panic. You're still fine. But you want to get two out of three in this series. You don't have to get two out of three in this series. You have to get at least one, though. Have to get at least one because you have to go three and three, and you ain't walking into Detroit and sweeping them. When you look at Detroit, the pitching matchups there aren't quite as favorable. Jeremy Guthrie, Justin Verlander on Monday. Who would have ever thought that'd be a toss-up game? But it is. It leans Guthrie if you're if you're being honest. If you're taking out the sexy name of Verlander. Not the sexy pictures, that's for damn sure. If you saw those, <laughs> avoid those pictures. <laughs> Him and Kate Upton, you'll see a lot more of Verlander than you want to see, I'll tell you that much. But Guthrie and Verlander on Monday, slight edge. Guthrie, maybe? It's a coin flip game. Both teams are pretty damn even. Of course, we, we well know by now that the Royals pitch and catch the ball, and Detroit does neither, but hits the ball. Now, Tuesday, it's Jason Vargas and Max Scherzer. Great matchup there. Edge, of course, with Detroit. Wednesday, Shields and Purcello. I give the edge to the Royals. I don't know. You got to find a way to go three and three minimum on this trip. Four and two, <clears throat> and you could easily see how the Royals could take two out of three in both series. The key to this road trip is going to be New York, and I know everyone's looking at that Tiger series and saying, "Well, you directly gain or lose a game." That's true, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it comes down to total wins on the season. And the Royals get to ninety-one or ninety-two wins, they're going to win the AL Central. To do that, you know that they're probably not going to go. Five and one or four and two against Detroit. The most likely scenario is they probably go three and three of these last six against Detroit. That may or may not be enough. You really want to go four and two just because Detroit has all of, if you look at their schedule, the last week they have the Twins and the White Sox. And the Royals have, what, Cleveland and Chicago. So the Royals have a slightly harder schedule that last week. So you'd like to have a two game cushion going into that last week with Detroit having, you know, games where they could easily rattle off five of seven or six of seven. So really, you do want to, I understand head-to-head how important that is, but at the end of the day, it comes down to total wins. In the Yankees series, you can't sleep on that. that. That's a key series to me because you have better pitchers going for you, A, and you have better pitching matchups, B, in that series. So I, I, I just this Yankee series to me is the one I've got circled right now. You get two out of three in New York, you can go into Detroit, most likely with a two-game lead. I don't, again, it just depends. We're guessing here. I don't know. The Tigers do face Bumgarner with the Giants this weekend, Vogelsong, and who's the other guy? Somebody else. 
I, I, I liked the Giants in two out of three matchups when I looked at it earlier. And we don't know what's gonna, what, what, the, what the Tigers are going to do. Well, let's quit predicting what the Royals are going to be up or down. But I'm just thinking out loud here because I'm trying to kind of analyze what happens in the next six days and how important these games are. So, in summary, got to go three and three. Four and two is the goal. And to me, New York is the key series on this trip. I'm not saying Detroit's not important because obviously it's damn important. You got to find a way to get some wins on this road trip. But my point is, the other reason New York is so important is that it sets the table and sets the tone for the whole trip, gets the confidence back. Hopefully your bats are better. And we both know this is a very streaky team offensively. The pitching's been there all year. The offense is not, obviously. What will they do with the lineup? That's, that's what I want to know. Now that Willingham, you would think, would be healthy enough to play from here on out, after getting a, basically a week off, they had another off day tomorrow. What are you doing? Hosmer's playing first, all three games in New York with that porch and knowing, you know, with, with the defense. Are you putting Pagero out there for one game because of his power in right field? Is, is Oki not playing in this series? Is Willingham going to be out there one game in right? Pagero one game in right? You know, is Butler only going to play two games in this series? Is he going to play one? It'll be interesting to see what Ned does. I, I don't have the answer. If it was me, I guess if it was me, if you're asking my opinion, I would probably go Butler two games in this series at DH, Willingham at DH the other game, and right field one game, Pagero one game in right. So basically I'm saying give Butler and Willingham two starts apiece, Pagero one start apiece, and Aoki and or Dyson one start for the other one. We'll see what happens. I, I've got a good feeling about this road trip, though. I do. A good feeling about New York. Let's come out and play well Friday night and see what happens. Thanks for listening to Clubhouse Conversation. More interviews coming up. Be listening to the site. Hope you can subscribe on iTunes. It'll come right to your iTunes whenever we update. Makes it very simple. Do that from the website by clicking on the iTunes icon. You can download all the files on the site. Take them with you on your favorite tablet or device. You can stream them from the site as well. Tell a friend at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter. It's getting fun, guys. It's getting fun. Go Royals.